0: Oh, I see everybody's adjusting for the sun. Unfortunately, I'm not Maui. I can't stop it or pull it up or do anything to it, so you're going to have to... Oh, i got to tell you a joke. i got to read it to you because it seems appropriate after everything that has gone. Um, Lao Tzu, Chang Tzu and Li Tzu were walking together in a forest path one day and they came upon a fast flowing river which barred their way. Immediately Li Tzu sat down on the bank of the river and meditated upon the eternal Tao. 10 minutes later he stood up and proceeded to walk on the water to the other side. Next Chang Tzu sat in the lotus position for 20 minutes whereupon he stood up and also walked across the river. Lao Tzu, watching this in amazement, shrugged his shoulders, sat down on the river bank like the others, and meditated for over an hour. Finally, with complete trust in the Tao, he closed his eyes, took one step, and fell into the river. (laughs) On the other shore, Chang Tzu laughed and turned to Li Tzu and said, Should we tell him where the stones are? So that's kind of the nature of our spiritual work. You know, we're not walking on the water, but in consciousness, we know where the stones are. And we can make our way through this life, uh, being in the world, but not of it. Um, <clears throat> gee, the last day, and I get all these questions. Uh, so, this, and I'm going to finish the other question because it has to do with, with world work, and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll address that, but this I can put ahead of it. Uh, what does Lean Not Unto Thy Own Understanding say or point toward? What is the uh, balance between understanding the letter and meditation? Well, in Scripture, when it's saying lean not unto your own understanding, it's not relying on your mental concepts for your reality or for your information. That there is a a deeper um, reality, and that reality comes from that spirit. It comes from the soul. The letter of truth is necessary so that your... Setting the stage for your meditations. Sometimes I think, okay, what, what does the letter of truth really do? But it, it gives us the platform and the, the um, foundation so that we can go off into meditation. There, the mind is a very interesting instrument. Because look at all the different aspects we have, even in this world. We have psychics, we have prophets, we have people that can manipulate uh, physical objects with their mind. And then we have people that are so unaware of their minds and their mentality that they kind of live their life in a dream, in a daze, not knowing, you know, not making decisions, not not having... A grasp of of even what they want Um, and if you're going into meditation if you're going into this realm where you're kind of discounting that personal sense of mind that you have uh, in a sense attached yourself to through your conditioning through your upbringing we all have this most of us even on the intellectual level are detaching ourselves from a lot of our conditioning a lot of our upbringing many of us maybe you know the era that we grew up no longer is relevant so the concepts of that era are no longer relevant to what's going on today and if if we totally detach from this intellectual level and open ourselves just to the ethers, there is a whole realm of of phenomena that is not spiritual, but it is also not material. Mrs. Eddy addressed this about this kind of phenomena. So where you have, the psychics, those kind of people if you accept that life is one, life is eternal, and life is now, so in this now moment, there is this infinite expression of life, and it is taking place on this primarily on this spiritual level. If you are attuned to infinite consciousness, you are tuning in to the source. But if you don't have infinite consciousness well-established in your mentality, in your thinking, you might start tuning in and hearing voices. You might start tuning in to other phenomena that are taking place on a mental level. And psychiatrists and neurologists have all explored this area. They Even back in the Cold War, the Russians and the Americans were competing on this psychic level. And after the Cold War was was over, a friend of ours knew one of these people in the CIA that was dealing with the psychic level. And there were people that the CIA had that they would put into a completely sealed booth It would be like a lead booth and copper so that there would be nothing that would come in from radio waves or uh... any kind of interference of other kind of known uh... wavelengths that we can't see and they would give him a location on a map coordinates longitude and latitude and he would get into the silence and then he would start describing what he saw and he would describe a building he would describe Mechanics, reactors, whatever it was. But since there was no proof, and the government was so um, skeptical of this kind of mental, this mental area, nothing was really ever acted on it. But when the Cold War ended, they took all the data that these various psychics had given to the CIA, and they went and wanted to see how accurate it was. So they went to the coordinates that they had given these psychics and took the descriptions that these psychics had and walked through, and it was just like they were reading and walking through the same thing. These psychics had absolutely down to the left turns and right turns of corridors seen and described these facilities that the CIA wanted to know what was going on. Now, the Russians probably did the same things. And the Russians have had a great tradition of psychics and, you know, you have Rasputin. You have the, uh, you know, you have this whole level of thought in that, in the Russian spiritual tradition that is <clears throat> not so firmly grounded just in matter. So, that is another level of mental activity. And if you are going into a still mind, going into a meditative or uh, um, that kind of a consciousness, and you don't have a direction toward spiritual reality. You don't have like this, what, what Russell's definition of a mystic is. You're not really going into that infinite one, but you're going into the level that's kind of like, almost like, radio waves. You're going into a a mental level that is floating out there, and much is happening, and sensitive people or people that want to get into that can do it. Now, whether they really are talking to deceased relatives, whether they really are able to predict the future, it all depends on belief. See, so much of this whole mental world is belief. Now, somebody goes to a psychic, and the psychic says, oh, okay, I'm picking up a name, and oh, and this is the name, and you're sitting there, and in your mind, you're going, oh, well, that's my aunt, and all of a sudden, you have an image of your aunt in your mind, and the psychic says, oh, okay, that, oh, and she's suffering, isn't she? Boom, oh, she's having a problem, and you're mentally, silently agreeing. What are you doing? You're On this mental level, you're just feeding this whole scenario. Now, is there any truth to it? Is there any reality to it? There's no more reality to that than the material expression that comes out of this conditioned mind that says there is power in material cause and effect. The letter of truth, when you study the letter of truth, what are you doing? You are, first of all, you are helping to... um, establish a God in your mind that is more in a line with that undefined source of all expression we all define God we all make God in our own image now that image of God that has been passed down to us in religion was made by a warring group of tribes that had a rewarding and punishing God. And boy, if you got on the wrong side of that God, you were wiped out. Then you had... And, and this goes for every every culture. Uh, I was reading a little bit of, of this article about Krishna, that this little pamphlet that, that was given to me. And... I've always loved the story of Krishna and Arjuna, and that, that whole basis of Hindu thought is all about war, big warring tribes. You have the good tribe and the bad tribe. And Krishna comes in to help Arjuna, and suddenly Arjuna has this compassion, this, this human sense that, oh, I'm going out and killing people. I can't kill anybody. I can't go out and go kill my neighbor. And Krishna laughs. He says, what? An infinite being afraid of death? You're not killing anybody. This is all in the conceptual realm. And if you start putting yourself in the conceptual realm where there's birth and death and war and disease and famine and all that, you've missed the point. And Krishna, that illumined consciousness, just kind of laughs at you. And it depends on the culture that you're in. How does that spiritual awareness transform the material concept. So the letter of truth establishes a, an idea of God that is closer to the experience. God is an experience. We can't ever conceive of God. All we can do is experience God. And we experience God when we're in this state of of complete oneness, of total stillness. That's the experience of God. Now, if we try and put a name to that experience, we try to put an identity to that experience, we're completely destroying that whole experience. But if we hold to the metaphysical uh, attributes of God synonyms for God from Christian science. Life, truth, love, soul, spirit. I don't, I can't remember all of the, all of those attributes. Well, they don't give you an image. They give you an idea. God is soul. God is spirit. God is love. God is truth. Okay, I start holding that in my mind when I go into meditation. Now I'm not I'm not just out there with my antennas wide open. I'm I'm really narrowing my silence into saying, I want to experience. I'm putting my attention toward the source of all life, toward the source of all good, toward the source of all being, all creation. And I don't know what... I can't define that source, I can't conceptualize that source, but I I can go all around it. And the more I go around it with truth, love, compassion, understanding, bring in the Eastern of that compassion and understanding, realize that everything that is going on on the surface can be nullified with... uh, the truth revealed. Now, again, in, in in the metaphysics, in Christian science, there was an idea that you, when you had a problem, you found the opposite. This, and I can't think of the word. The suppositional opposite? Is that right? I don't know. Um, but that nullified that particular appearance that was going on. So spiritually, if you were having, well, we had a Christian Science practitioner who went here once, who, who with a group of other people, and we were all talking about healing, and so she gave the example of that. Okay, someone has a problem with bleeding. She says, okay, what is blood in the physical and bleeding? What does that really mean spiritually? Turn it into the spirit. Well, blood is life, so it's the it's life expressing itself. Blood is flow. It's this flow of of life. And so if that problem was about a blockage or a lack of flow, then you start working on the nature of flow, the nature of life. And you're taking then a a material situation and you're finding its spiritual basis, but the spiritual basis isn't the negative, destructive appearance, but that destructive appearance is the opposite of what the truth is, and if you find the truth spiritually, then that will start mitigating the physical appearance that is untrue. Now, we can take that, I mean, and that's, again, part of this whole mental area. When we get into mystical healing, We have moved away from all of these mental things because you could take, I mean, there's a jillion problems out there. So if you have to say, oh, I've got this problem, that's not a really easy one. Where am I going to find the opposite to it? So you're spending your, your, your mental effort trying to find some spiritual truth that will nullify a specific material problem. You can spend a lot of time Spinning your wheels when really the only problem there is, is the belief that there's power in material effect. And if we go into oneness, we don't have to find that specific thing that's gonna nullify a specific appearance. One does it. There is only that one. And when, so, through the letter of, through this training, of bringing our mind always into an attitude that when I am in the silence, I am accessing, I am letting come into, I'm letting this spiritual component of my being expand into that universal oneness and that universal one is love, that universal one is harmony, that universal one is peace. So what? where can disease or conflict or any of the negativities exist in harmony peace and love now those are grand ideas those grand ideas don't have any form to them you can't make a form of love i mean you can make a heart but that's so cheesy you know you can't make a you you can't make a form of truth you can't make a form of harmony Those just are these big ideas. But when these big ideas then become um, experienced as that silence, as that presence, then you're living out from that consciousness and anything in this world automatically becomes resolved. And you don't have to take unless it's necessary or it's a teaching tool. You don't have to come from that oneness and say, "Okay, here's the spiritual principle that will nullify that particular material concept that's causing a problem." Now, doesn't mean that doing that is wrong. No, that's that's it's all in steps. But as we practice this, we we really come down into what is the Master Consciousness. And from that, that omniscience of that, if we need these other steps, then they're available. And if somebody says, but I'm suffering with this, isn't there something I can work with to help me nullify this? Well, from that omniscience would come the sense, well, yeah, why don't you work with this principle? This principle basically nullifies that material belief. And as you work with that principle, you're not trying to get rid of the problem, but you're trying to understand the principle and experience that principle, and when that is experienced, the problem no longer exists. Because it doesn't have... Every problem requires a mental action to make that problem exist. Because ultimately it exists in your mind. You remove that mental action, and lots of the time... The mental action that we see that is supporting problems is unconscious. It's universal belief. It doesn't have anything to do with you or me. We haven't caused a problem through our thinking. What we have done is that being lazy and seeing the suffering and the situations in the world, if we haven't corrected that in our own thought, They're existing in consciousness, so it's picked up, and then it's supported in the physical. The moment it's it's nullified in the mental, then it ceases to exist, and the only way to nullify it in the mental is spiritually, because if you use the mind to nullify a mental concept, you're you're on the same level, and you're doing the same thing as the mental concept. You're just battling it. But when you let the spirit nullify the, a mental concept, you're getting rid of it completely. It's not existent. And what happens is that the spiritual truth, the reality, is there. So it's important in the beginning, especially to... um Have a knowledge, have an awareness of the metaphysical principles, because they help us detach, they help us move out of being victimized by world belief and world thought. Now, many mystics, a lot of them in the East, Joel has told stories, have not spent the time, or were interested in, in learning the nature of error, which is what we've just been talking about, how to deal with this world. They meditate, and they can get into a blissful consciousness. They have many followers. These followers come, and they feel the bliss. They feel the presence. They feel the oneness. But the guru gets sick. The guru suffers, because the guru is not... is ignoring that particular connection between the mental and the physical. He's just saying, well, if I'm all spirit, then, you know, everything is spirit. But if he's still in a body and still living in the world, there is all of the conditioned sense of life that is still existent. So, when Joel says, do protective work, when the metaphysicians say, do protective work, what is protective work? It is not giving power to all of these mental concepts. It's not going out there and trying to change this world, but it is withdrawing power of this world and realizing that my harmony, my fulfillment, and my being is spiritual. And nothing, there is no other power. Therefore, if I have mental suggestions coming in about this or that, no power. It's just like watching a movie or some new story it might register for a moment but then it goes on and it doesn't have any power in my awareness and then I can then I acknowledge the the truth of the spirit oneness there is only one I don't have to do a lot of work I don't have to pray to reverse uh, a situation that I see and this is this is what world work is this is how we do world work and that To me, I don't know if there has been that big of a change in world work because Joel always presented world work as basically seeing the um, destructive and inharmonious nature of this world as impotent and seeing it as impotent then having the experience of the presence of God because then that brings you into oneness and where there is one, that's where the presence of God is, there is liberty. That liberty is universal. So my oneness, my experience of oneness with God is infinite. So if someone else is tuning in and meditating and saying, oh, let's see if we can nullify the, the, the appearance of destruction, they go into meditation, they get a sense of peace, others are getting a sense of peace, pretty soon that peace is pervasive and so like with with the, the big cyclone that hit Fiji that piece we don't have to send good thoughts or love because love is infinite love is everywhere spirit is everywhere and the principle of oneness says that as I experience the presence of God within me it is being universally acknowledged so it is there so somebody else the other side of the world can, can be praying, they feel that presence of God and suddenly peace comes. So what, what is the nature of peace? What does peace do? Well, it gives, it, it gives the, um, the awareness, the platform for omniscience to work. So it, it says, okay, well, it, it takes away the confusion of a catastrophe and allows those that are there dealing with helping people and, you know, bringing the the island back to, to normal, it gives them the strength and the knowledge and the awareness of the best way to do it so that harmony is restored and peace is restored. Now, there's other than an appearance of destruction, there's, there's really no difference than moving from over there and moving to here than the sense that if it's, everything is done in relationship to phenomena in peace and it's harmonious, then it doesn't disturb anybody's well-being. It, bring, it, it maintains this level of peace. We are the instruments of this infinite consciousness. As Maimonides said, there is no God but living and breathing man. This was written thousands of years ago. And that God is experienced in secret. I'm paraphrasing that acknowledging that it is individual consciousness that when acknowledged and experienced is the only god there is and that individual consciousness is one it is universal no separation. There's no time. Now is now, this moment, everywhere in the universe. As individual being, we live in this spiritual consciousness, in reality. We live and move and have our being in this presence. In the same question it the person asks, is it There's a concept or claim that spirit is something deep or far away, but what about spirit is close and natural? I've never really had the concept of spirit being deep or far away. We talk about a deep experience, but as the poet said, this activity of spirit is closer than breathing and nearer than hands and feet. It is the natural essence of who we are. Now, we get... You know, Paul talked about the natural man. What he was talking about was the man that viewed life from his physical senses. But the spiritual man is viewing life or woman is viewing life from this soul faculty. And we experience this soul faculty. We know this soul faculty through this presence. But we also realize that this soul faculty is here and now, with us. That this body that we occupy lives in consciousness it exists in consciousness it doesn't exist separate and apart from consciousness and this body is not you if you identify solely with the body then you are limiting yourself to a material concept now obviously we have a body but are we in this body do we is our, is our consciousness an activity of the brain? Are our thoughts emanating from a piece of matter? I can't accept that. Because when I go into a creative state, I'm not in my head. This isn't coming from my brain. This isn't an activity of, of electrons or whatever, synopsis firing off. That's the totally materialistic point of view, that life is a product of matter. Now, even in the non-religious world, there is a great number of, of people who are idealists, philosophers theologians, people who realize that, no, that matter isn't the end all of life, that life is spiritual, that life is idealistic, life is an activity in consciousness, and consciousness is something that is not uh, material when a person is unconscious, knocked out in the hospital, their consciousness is still there, the individual is still there. Many times you you hear the stories about people who are out of their body. When they are being operated on or if there's been an accident, they're out of their body. They actually can see what's going on. They are not localized into their body because we do not exist in our body. We exist in consciousness. We don't exist in the body, and the body is knocked out, and all the brain is doing... Well, sometimes even in medical situations, the, the, the brain isn't even... Performing the functions of the body. There's a machine that pumps the blood and breathes and keeps blood going to the brain. The brain is just that instrument that helps us function physically. But consciousness and mind are not in the body. I use this body and I use this mind. And if that I is one with God, if that I is experiencing that divine presence, then that divine presence is the agent that is functioning through me, through my mind and through my body. And what does that mean to mankind? Humankind. It means that this spiritual reality is here and now. And that the Imposition of material thought of mental concepts can dissolve instantly. Now, in in our country, we are having a tremendous cultural debate there's a tremendous cultural shift taking place. There are those who really are wanting to hold on to concepts of the past, and then there are those that, are, that really have an idea that everyone has this same infinite potential, and that everyone can express and experience Life to the fullest in world work, and this isn't political, I'm not advocating science, but this is cultural. When you see a a mental and cultural attitude that wants to oppress and confine and um, limit, you're not seeing something that represents spiritual reality because spiritual reality is expansive. It is saying, "Ah, each has all. I am at one with my Father, and I am one with all individual expression of life. And as that individual expression of life, without judgment about class or race or religion or gender... Is is apparent we're going to approach a, as a area of oneness. We are going to see individuals be given the opportunity to fully express themselves. So world work, when we and these ideas, mental ideas, these concepts. They're out there, and they're resident, and, and they gain power through acceptance. Now, spiritually, we're not entering into a battlefield. But spiritually, when we see ideas of oppression, of, limit, of limitation, of unjust, uh, of injustice, and, and these kind of ideas, what do we do? We, we don't sit back and say, that's nothing that, oh, that's this world, and I'm not going to contend with this world. No, if we're doing world work, we reinterpret those ideas. Now, this isn't personal, and this isn't judgmental. We're not judging any person. We're not condemning any person. But what we're saying is there is an idea that is not spiritual, that's representing a different level of consciousness. And we can consciously say that that idea has no power. Why doesn't it have any power? Reason with yourself. As Isaiah said, reason spiritually. Bring in what you know of consciousness. Why doesn't that idea have any power? Why isn't that idea spiritually? Well, one, it's exclusive. Spirit is inclusive. Two, it's judgmental. Spirit is without judgment. And you can go through whatever it is in your own mind that when you see ideas and concepts that would deny the oneness of individual being, that would deny the freedom and the joy of individual being, you can address that spiritually. Jules has addressed the whole world spiritually, in love, when you see tyrants... Realize that that idea of oppression, of r- religious um, restrictions, has nothing to do with spirit. When you see tyrants who feel that the only way they can maintain power is by jailing or killing their, their um, opponents, you can realize that that has no power. That has no more power than disease. If you had a loved one in your family that came to you and said, oh, the doctor has just given me this diagnosis, what would you do? You would start doing spiritual work and saying, well, I'm not accepting that as power. And you would bring everything that you know about truth, everything you know about spirit, into your consciousness so that you could go into that stillness and experience the presence of God because when that presence of God is realized, that is all that exists and that is harmonious. Now you're doing spiritual work. So why not do it when you see a tyrant somewhere in the world that's killing all of his people? Do the same thing. That That is no different than if a loved one came to you and said they had a disease. We're all in this world together. And we can't sit back and say oh, well we've got the the ordered world that is that's governed by the rule of law and 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 we're fine here but that's consciousness they don't have the consciousness to ex- ex- that's bogus it's ridiculous everybody has the consciousness there's nobody on this planet from the most um, indigenous native in the amazon that wouldn't have an idea what an airplane is to the most sophisticated engineer it's all the same consciousness but that consciousness is being expressed individually and differently so we cannot judge the person that is living in a primitive situation or a more natural situation from the person that is living in a in a very high-tech urban situation we all have the same consciousness And as we realize this oneness, we will start lifting those ideas of oppression, of subjection, of uh, all of the things that help put man down. We start dissolving that. Once spirit is aware. Mrs. Eddy had a great statement. Um, Error, once seen, is two-thirds destroyed and the other third destroys itself. Now, we can put that into the world. When we see injustice, poverty, suffering, and we put that vision in a spiritual context, then we are opening out the transformation of infinite consciousness. And the other third destroys itself. The hard part, is that when that destruction is taking place, then we as human beings, as good, caring people, want to go and jump into the middle of the battle and and stop the suffering. Joel said, when the battle is raging, the initiate remains as calm as possible, endeavoring not to engage in the battle until that spiritual consciousness has transformed and has Resolve the conflict. Now that makes sense when you're dealing with yourself and a problem, but it is the same principle when you're dealing with the world. And if we look at this world as our self and this oneness, then every part of this world is part of our being. And every part of this world can be addressed spiritually. And the change always takes place within ourself. If we look out at the world and we get really angry at what's going on, it's the old Greek saying, physician, heal thyself. Your anger at this world is not going to do anything to help this world. What will help this world? Resolving that conflict, that difference of belief within yourself and bringing that level of truth and peace to your own consciousness, then you're walking in this world and you are basically spreading this consciousness of peace. And if it's challenged, then you go back in and you do the the work. But when you are in a state of peace, you're living in the world but not of it. And you maintain that attitude until there is something that starts to draw you out of it. And with more practice, you find that you're living more and more in a state of peace. And the problems that come don't come with, with anxiety. They don't come with worry. They don't come with fear. They come with, oh, here's an opportunity to to, to let's see how we can bring this spiritual consciousness into realization so that harmony and peace prevail. Now I've got a bunch of posters out there that we can go and protest with if you want. I am from all sides of the spectrum so I'm not going to be judgmental. Thank you. This has been a wonderful experience. I I certainly appreciate all of you participating in this. It's, as you know, we've never done it before. I'm not sure we'll do it again, but, <laughs> but it has been a, a wonderful experience and it's been such a joy to have all of you here and to experience all the diversity and, and changes that uh, take place in basically holding a class outside. <laughs> So, aloha and uh, be at peace. Thank you.